You know, during this time of year, people are thinking about Christmas, and even though a lot of people uh, basically celebrate Christmas as a secular holiday about, uh, you know, trees and snowflakes and stuff, uh, but still, it is Christmas time, and, uh, and, and uh, they know that it's about the birth of Jesus, and as we are celebrating the coming of the Savior, um, it creates a lot more natural opportunities to bring Jesus into the conversation. Um, and so, uh, we all want to be on the lookout, especially this time of year, for those opportunities to talk about Jesus. Now, one of the key ideas for our series uh, is from our Scripture Memory Challenge that we, uh, we all read together a few minutes ago. And, and, I, and here's what it says. It says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, there's a couple of key things that I want to mention from from this this section. First uh, is that when Jesus saw the crowds of people, he had compassion on them because he could see their needs. And that is why we should talk to people about Jesus. We should have the same kind of compassion for people because we see their needs. And whatever other needs people might have that uh, we might also be able to meet, people need to be in a relationship with Jesus. People need to know the gospel message so that they can repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus and be saved from their sins. Without Jesus, people are guilty before God and liable for judgment. The Bible tells us this. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, people need Jesus. And as Christians, we must have compassion on the people around us to help them to come to know him. That's why we want to be talking about Jesus at Christmas time. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And then he tells his disciples that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, what does that mean? Is Jesus talking about agricultural economics and the need for cheap immigrant labor to harvest crops in a cost-effective way? No, he's talking about the crowds of people who need to be reconciled to God. And he's telling his disciples that there's plenty of people who have spiritual needs, but there's not enough people working in the spiritual fields to connect them to God. The harvest is plentiful. Now, Mike talked about this idea last week, and he used his best preacher alliteration, came up with two P words, Uh, to talk about the two different kind of mindsets that we can have in this. It was plenty and paucity. Okay, paucity is not a word that we use every day, but it's the opposite of plenty, and it starts with the letter P, so it's a great sermon word. But um, the question is, do we have a mindset that the harvest is plentiful, that there are plenty of people out there who need a relationship with God, we just need to go and talk to them, Or do we have the opposite mindset, the paucity mindset that says no one wants to hear about Jesus, 
Nobody's going to respond if I go and, and talk to them. So which mindset do you have? What is your expectation? Do you have a plenty mindset? That's what we need to have. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us here. But let me not uh, give you a false impression about what that means. Um, Jesus is not saying here that there's all kinds of people out there who are just anxious and eager to hear it, and as soon as you start talking about Jesus, they'll just respond immediately and, and be so excited to hear what you have to say and accept everything you say. It's not, uh, it's not that easy. And anybody who's tried to talk about Jesus knows that it's, it's not quite that simple. And Jesus knew that very well. Even he himself, when he uh, went and, and preached and taught people, he got a pretty mixed response. Some people responded well to him, but there were a lot of people who didn't like him. And some of the people, they just were kind of uninterested in what he had to say, but some were really strongly opposed to what Jesus had to say. So he knows that it's not, when he says the harvest is plentiful, that doesn't mean, oh man, it's easy pickings out there. So what does he mean when he says the harvest is plentiful? Well, I'd say there's, there's two ways in which the harvest is plentiful. First of all, there's just a great need out there. There's a great many people who need to hear the gospel message and need to get into a good relationship with Jesus. People need to hear about Jesus. The need is great. Everyone who hasn't already put their faith in Jesus for salvation needs to do it. And that's most of the people in the world. People need Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. But secondly, Jesus is saying that there are a lot of people who will respond positively when we talk to them about God. There are people that you rub shoulders with uh, who would want to hear about God's love and the way of salvation. Does that mean it will be easy for us to effectively share the gospel with people? Does it mean that they will be easily persuaded to follow Jesus? No. To say that the harvest is plentiful does not mean that the harvest is easy. Some of the fruit that we're trying to harvest might be in pretty hard-to-reach places. It might be very challenging and take some time and effort in order to get someone to engage in a real spiritual conversation. Jesus is not saying that it will be easy, but he is saying that if we go out and work in the fields, we will find that the harvest is plentiful. Now this morning, in, in part two of this, this series that's emphasizing these things, uh, we're going to look at a story from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, so you can turn there in your Bible, that's where we're going to spend most of our time, in John chapter 1. Um, and, uh, and in this story, we're going to see some, some good principles about uh, how to help people to come to Jesus. So I'm going to read here uh, John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. It's a bit of a longer story, up to verse 46. Um, it's talking about John the Baptist here, and it says, The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you, say, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. 
So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him, and it was about four in the afternoon. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Now, first thing I want to look at from this, uh, this story that we've uh, just read is, uh, is the question that Jesus asks toward the beginning of the story there. Um, he sees these two guys following him, and, uh, and in verse 38, he turns around and he says to them, what do you want? Now that, uh, on the one hand, it seems like kind of an obvious question, right? I mean, two guys are following you, you turn around and you ask them what they want. But I think um, Jesus meant something a little more by it. And it's the question that Jesus asks to all of us, really. What do you want? Like, really? What is it that you want? Do you want your life to have meaning and purpose beyond beating your friends on the Xbox or taking a 10-foot Kodiak bear or being beautiful and fashionable? Are all those things, you know, entertainment, hunting, fashion, it's all very nice, but significance? Significance? Jesus offers us real significance. He offers us a life of meaning and purpose. And if we look at Jesus' response to the two guys in the story who come to him wanting to know more, he says to them, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. You see, Jesus does not turn away people who come to him. When people come to him, and want more of him, he says, yeah, come and you will see. If you come to Jesus, he will accept you. And if you're looking for a bigger life, a life of impact and meaning, come to Jesus. Jesus said this, he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And one of the things that Jesus gives us when we ask him for it and when we come to him is purpose and meaning. He gives us a mission. He gives us a meaningful task to complete on his behalf. And a big part of that mission is telling other people about him, helping others to find salvation from their sins. When the guys in this story this morning uh, come to Jesus and they start to get to know him, they spend some time with him, they don't have to be told what to do. They know what, the, what to do next. We have, we have three main characters in this, in this uh, story here, in addition to Jesus. 
And they all respond to their new and growing knowledge of Jesus in the same way. Three guys in the story. It's, it's John, that's John the Baptist, Andrew, and Philip. And what do they all do? First, first John, he says in verse 34, just, just before we started reading actually, in verse 34 he says, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And then in verse 36 it says, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And then the second guy is Andrew, and it says about Andrew, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And then he brought him to Jesus. And then the third guy, Philip. Um, by the way, this is a different Philip than the one we talked about last week. Remember Mike talked about Philip and the, the guy from Ethiopia? Different Philip, a common name back then. Anyway, Philip, it says, uh, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. So what are they all doing? They are all talking about Jesus, helping people who do not yet know him to learn more about him. And that is the great purpose that can bring meaning and significance to our lives. That's the most important thing that we can be doing with our lives, is helping others to find the Savior. So let's take a closer look at, at the, the, the guys and, and, and what exactly they did here. First, let's look at John. John's first method of introducing people to Jesus was public preaching. If you, you look back in the context there, John is preaching to a whole bunch of people, and, and, uh, and that's what's happening in the first part there, where he says, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. He's declaring to anyone and everyone who will listen that, uh, that who Jesus was. And public preaching is a good and necessary part of the life of the church. Uh, and it's a, it's an it plays a significant role in many people's journey uh, spiritually and in many people coming to learn how Jesus meets their needs. But there's more to telling others about Jesus than public preaching. Right? Even a great public speaker like John the Baptist didn't only do public preaching. He also um, followed that up in a more private setting by telling two people that he had influence with about Jesus. That's what's happening in that second part uh, on the slide there. He's talking to two guys who were his followers, who he had influence with them, and he tell, when he sees Jesus go by, he says, there's the guy, that's him, the Lamb of God right there. So he's telling these two guys um, about Jesus. And then when we look at the other two guys, we see that that's exactly what they did, was that they went to people that they knew, that they had some level of uh, influence with or some connection to, and they invite them to come and meet Jesus. So the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, and he brought him to Jesus. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one, come and see. So that kind of public preaching that John did, that's not for everybody. Not everybody needs to be uh, doing public preaching, but, but we can and should all be doing the other thing that all three of these guys did, which is finding people 
with whom we have some kind of influence and, and connection and inviting them to come and see. Andrew first went and told his family about Jesus. Philip talked to a friend. So let me point out a few things about the way these invitations were given. Uh, First of all, none of these guys gave anything like a complete gospel presentation. Right? They all had more to say than just, hey, come meet this guy, a really nice guy I met the other day. They they had more to say than that, but, but they didn't lead their friends through the four spiritual laws They didn't uh, lead them down the Romans road or draw the bridge diagram on a napkin or anything. They just came and and talked very simply. In fact, these guys really had a pretty limited knowledge of who Jesus was. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't use a clever presentation that they had learned. They just invited people to come and see. In fact, if you look closely, uh, Philip, in his ignorance of proper doctrine, included a theological mistake in his uh, invitation to Nathanael, he said that Jesus was Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. But of course, we know that Jesus wasn't actually the son of Joseph. Um, and so Philip, uh, you know, his attempt to bring Nathanael to, uh, to Christ is, is off to a bad start, right? And then Nathanael raises an objection. He says, hey, uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come on. And, and what does, what's Philip's response? Nothing. He has, he has no answer for that. When, 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 uh, when Philip, or Nathaniel has an objection, Philip just says, come and see. He has no answer to the challenge. So you would think that nothing much will come from, from this, right? Nathaniel won't become a Christian. But in fact, Nathaniel does come. And he does follow Christ, and later he's chosen by Jesus to be one of his 12 disciples, and later becomes an apostle and a great leader of the early church. So let me emphasize a couple of points of application for us here. First one is, we should be reaching out to the people around us. Especially our family, our friends, and our neighbors. To bring others to Jesus should be a great purpose and meaningfulness, meaningful part of our lives. Nothing else we can do is nearly as significant as helping others to find salvation. But to do that, it means we have to overcome our fear, right? In order to invite others to come and meet Jesus, you have to take some risks. And if you're not willing to face your fear that your friend will think you're some kind of Jesus freak or something, or that your family will feel like you're preaching at them, you're not going to accomplish much unless you can take those risks and, and, uh, and overcome that fear. And if you can't get past that fear and you're unwilling to invite someone to meet Jesus, then you're missing out. Because working for God's kingdom in this way, in building up the church by bringing others to him, it's a tremendous privilege and can be a real joy in your life. And if you're not involved in it, you're missing out on something that can bring you real joy and satisfaction in your life. Now, here's another application point, is that um, we don't have to know all the answers in order to be effective in bringing others to Jesus. You don't need to have memorized 12 key evangelism verses. You don't need to be a pastor or an elder in the church in order to bring people 
to come and see Jesus. Even Philip's clumsy, uneducated invitation was effective. Now, next thing, it won't always be easy to convince someone to come and see Jesus. And we saw that where Nathaniel had an objection to what Philip shared with him. And your friends and family might have objections too. In fact, you should expect them to have some kind of objections. And they won't always uh, be quite as easily persuaded as Nathaniel was. Often people will have a level of resistance that you have to overcome before they'll be willing to come and see Jesus. And how can we overcome that resistance? Well, one way is to actually have answers for their objections. You need to read your Bible. You need to read some good Christian books. Get some advice from a mature Christian. Learn the answers to some of the common objections. And in the case of somebody that you know well, you should be able to kind of anticipate what they're going to say and think ahead what kinds of answers you can give for what they have to say. But you don't need to be able to answer every question in order to bring someone to Christ. There's a couple of other ways to overcome objections without really having a good answer to answer them directly. As we've seen, Philip was not able to answer Nathaniel's objection, and yet Nathaniel accepted his invitation. Why? Well, I believe that it was uh, that Nathaniel's willingness to go with Philip was based not on the convincingness of Philip's appeal, but on the strength of their relationship. Because relationships overcome barriers. And when we have built up some credibility with people through a friendship, they will be willing to put aside their objections and come and see. A lot of times people need to see Jesus in us before they're ready to hear about Jesus from us. If you want to make an impression on someone, you want to show them how Jesus has made you into a different person, here's the thing, the best way to do that is by doing things rather than by not doing things. Sometimes people get a little confused in that and they think that I'm going to uh, demonstrate Christ's love to people by not having any bad habits and by not, not doing this or that. So we think, um, you know, people are going to be drawn to Christ because they, they see that you avoid these common bad habits. But really, not many people are going to think, I really need to check out that guy's God because he doesn't use profanity. Maybe, but, uh, but what really impresses people is when we actually do things. If we want to show people the difference that God makes in your life, you must do it by doing good, by showing sacrificial love to others. We should be known and we should stand out for the things that we do and the things that we stand for rather than for the things that we don't do or the things that we stand against. And when we have shown love and acceptance to a person, when we have shown, uh, shown them friendship by going to their kid's birthday party, inviting them over to watch football, help them out with a problem that they have, when you've gone out of your way to invest in somebody's life, and you've shown them love and acceptance, that relationship will help them to accept your invitation to come and meet Jesus. Now, here's the thing. I really hope some of you um, are thinking that you've got a problem with what I'm saying. 
I hope some of you are thinking, wait a minute, we cannot bring people to Jesus the way these guys did. Because uh, when they did it, Jesus was right there, flesh and blood, and, uh, and their friends and family could just come and meet him. And all they had to do is get him close to Jesus, and Jesus did the rest. So it was different for them. And I really hope that some of you are thinking that, because that would show that you're really paying attention and thinking about what I'm saying. And for those of you who are daydreaming, you probably didn't even think of that, did you? But you should have. So that objection that you should have thought about, it can be stated something like this. We cannot bring people to Jesus the way these guys did because he is no longer living on the earth. And, of course, uh, there is uh, a sense in which that's very true. It is different for us than it was for them. They really did have a uh, flesh-and-blood Jesus that people could meet who was uh, just down the road, and they could just go and shake his hand and say hi. But can we still invite people to come and see Jesus? I think we can. I think we can. And when we come together as a church, like we're doing right now, or even in our journey groups or different things like that, when, when Christians come together, we are the body of Christ. That's what the Bible calls us. We are the body of Christ. And together we are able to show people Jesus even better than any one person can go and uh, and share Jesus' love with someone. Together, we are a representation of Christ. The Bible doesn't say that each one of us is the body of Christ. It says that the church is the body of Christ. And together, we are Jesus' physical presence on earth today in a similar way to his physical presence was on earth in the days of Andrew and Philip. It's a little different, but... It's, we can still bring people to meet Jesus. If you want to do what Andrew and Philip did and invite your family and friends to meet Jesus, then invite them to come to church. At the church, they will meet Jesus in us. Of course, we are an imperfect uh, reflection of Jesus, uh, but when the church is at its best, we are representatives of God to the world. So how should people meet Jesus at the church? What should we do that shows people the Savior? When we give testimony of what God has done in our lives, when we worship God with love and joy, then people catch a glimpse of Jesus. And when we show love and concern for one another, when we are Christ-like, this is how we show Jesus to people like Peter and Nathaniel who do not yet know him. And that needs to be done intentionally. Uh, We must strive to show people the love of God. When new people come to our church, we, we ought to go out of our way to make sure that they meet Jesus that day. Now, I don't mean that we need to put on an act and pretend that, that we care about people. No, we need to actually love and care about people, and we need to actually be Christ-like, and we need to actually be accepting and humble and caring. And I believe that that's the most important way that we can show Jesus to others is through our love for one another. I think that this was the most striking feature of Jesus himself when he was uh, living here as a man. And he told us that love should be the sign that we are his followers. Jesus said, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. 
And that love is obviously a lot more than just warm feelings for each other because it's a love that is visible to everyone. It's a love that expresses itself in actions. Now, during this Christmas season, it's a great opportunity to talk to people about Jesus. One part of that can be as simple as inviting them to church. Invite people to Christmas Eve service. It's going to be a great place for people who don't know much about Jesus to learn more about him, and it'll be a great uh, bridge to further conversations about spiritual things. And during Christmas and throughout the year, let's be inviting people to come and see Jesus, and let's make an intentional effort to be the best expression of the body of Christ and Jesus' love that we can by really loving one another. Because the harvest is plentiful.